Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, January 9th, 2022, we begin a new series titled Hope for the Family. Today's sermon, God's Design for Family, will be taught to us by Pastor Joe Infranco. Enjoy. Let me just say this series is meant to apply to everyone, regardless of what your family looks like or doesn't look like, regardless of the stage of life that you're at, regardless of whether you have children or not, or you're married or not. These are principles of God that we are going to be talking about. And our desire is to help all of you understand a little more about God's plan for families, even if you have no earthly family at all. God's plan still reaches all of us, as we'll see. So I'll start with a story about when uh, a few years ago, we bought a kitchen for our beloved granddaughter, Rosie, who's here today. So hi, Rosie. Hi, Jack. Hi, Finn. Hi, Bo. Oh, little waves there. Grandkids get special privileges. That's just how it is. You don't like it too bad. No, you all know that. We bought this kitchen, and the box said, some assembly required. No. A lot of assembly was required. At the two-hour mark, I started grousing to my wife, Valerie. I said, our parents never put stuff together. They gave us a box with a bow. Why are we doing this? Well, she said, you can do it for Razi. Yeah, I thought, I can do this for Razi. At the four-hour mark, <laughs> I was ready to start pushing for federal legislation banning kitchen assemblies, and I let my wife know it. She said, you can do it for Razi. Yeah, I said with not quite as much conviction as the first time, yes, I can do this for Razi. At hour five, I realized I had stopped looking at the directions. Hey, I'm a guy, I can figure this out. I looked at them, and I realized I had put together part of a kitchen out of sequence, and that I couldn't finish it unless I disassembled the work that I had done. See, when we stop following directions, when we stop looking at the manufacturer's guidance, when we do things like that, we make the task more difficult. And likewise, when we stop following the creator's laws, think of them as his directions for family, and we all do it. When that happens, life can become more challenging. We may need to take things apart in order to reassemble them. Let me show you some planned family moments from a website called Nailed It, uh, just to show, despite our best plans for what a family could look like and pictures that portray the perfect situation, sometimes things happen that are either unplanned or we just don't quite follow the pattern real well. So let's see the first one. Look at that beautiful picture. Who couldn't love that? Let's see how well the person did following it. Oh, they really nailed it, didn't they? All right. Another example, picture two. Oh, how can you not like this? Three kids stacked up in size, smiling, the little one asleep. What a great idea for a family picture. How did it turn out? Well, not exactly. Sometimes things don't cooperate. Let's try another one. Oh, how cute a picture. A baby and a pumpkin with a, well, with a little hat on. 
Oh, no. Well, sometimes kids don't cooperate in photos, right? Okay, what else? Let's see another one. Oh, look at this. The big eyes looking through. The, how could you not love this picture? How did it turn out? Well, maybe not exactly like they planned. One last one. Look at this, having just come through Christmas, smiling, red and gold Christmas ornaments. What's not to like? Oh yeah, they nailed that one, didn't they? See, sometimes life works out that way. The Bible, I was just saying a moment ago, is like the manufacturer's handbook, and we can spare ourselves a lot of trouble when we take the time to be familiar with it and follow it. But first, a disclaimer. We are all sinners. We all get things wrong. We mess up ways we don't see. We all have blind spots. But here's the thing. Wherever we find ourselves, we can take steps in the right direction. However much of a mess it might look like in our family and in our relationships, whatever it is that we've done wrong, we're better off handing it off to God and going through the process, walking through it with him instead of without him. The first part of understanding discipleship in, in a family relationship would be, <clears throat> would be to understand that we ourselves are supposed to be disciples. I apologize, my voice is a little scratchy, uh, my allergies, it's my, it's my Barry White voice. And then I might break into, can't get enough for your love, baby. No, I don't think I'll do that. What is a disciple? Sometimes the word sounds a little mysterious. Oh, well, this is some kind of process. And what's going on there? The, the concept is actually much simpler. You know, the, the Greek, mathites, is actually just a learner, a student. Do we ever cease to be learners from the word of God? No. We're studying all the time, aren't we? We want to draw closer to God. We want our relationship with Christ to be richer. We're building up more inside of ourselves so we have more to give out. How important is the family in God's design? The answer is it's essential. It's the first human institution that God created. Created it before government, before business, before education, before anything. And God does at least three things that I'll look at today through the institution of the family. First, God displays his nature through the family. Second, God disciples through the family. And third, God provides family relationships within the church. So first, God illustrates his nature through creation. When we look at what an artist has done, it tells us a little something about the artist. Uh, when we visited Rome and went to the Sistine Chapel, you look like this a lot while you're there. But you look up and you can't help but be just awe-inspired. And it tells you a little something about the great artist, Michelangelo, who did this. When you listen to Handel's Messiah, um, it tells you something about the artist, the creator. It tells you something about a high vision of God that he had. So... What God established the family, what was he trying to show? The answer is he was showing us some truth about himself. When God creates a man and the woman, Adam in the Hebrew is actually both of them together. It later becomes Adam's name. But the original act of creation 
in God's image is the two of them in the complementary nature that God made them. See, uh, look at Matthew chapter 19, verses four and five. And Jesus answered them. He was discussing this with the Pharisees and they wanted to know, uh, they had some questions for Jesus. And he said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. See, marriage between a man and a woman in a faithful monogamous relationship is a picture of Christ and the church. And that's why we have such a strong focus on marriage here. We do marriage counseling. We want to build and encourage good, strong marriages that are biblically focused. We work hard at those relationships. And Christ has only one church. And that's a picture of that faithful relationship and what it's going to look like in eternity. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5, verses 31 to 32. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now catch this. This mystery, he says, is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. When we look at God's design for marriage and we see it functioning in the relationship of mutual love and service as God designed, it gives us a little glimpse of something of what our relationship with Christ is going to look like through all of eternity. John Piper said this, the union of a man and woman in marriage is a mystery because it conceals, as in a parable, a truth about the church, a divine reality hidden, hidden in the metaphor of marriage is that God ordained a permanent union between his son and the church. Human marriage is the earthly image of this divine plan. God also illustrates his nature in the family in a parent-child relationship. When Jesus instructed his disciples to pray, he said, pray this way, our Father. And he used words that were not complex words for God. He used words for God in referring to Father that would have suggested an, a, an intimacy that's almost startling with God, where we view him as a Father and we address him that way. We can only do that because of the finished work of Christ. But the ultimate promise that God gives us is that we become his children. He created us for that relationship. 1 John 3.1 says this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. This is a measure. This is a, a something showing us the incredible love that God has for us. See, be, see the kind of love the Father has given to us that we should become the children of God or call the children of God. And then he says this, and so we are. See, Becoming his children starts right here and now. And the intimacy of that relationship is just going to grow through eternity where we understand God more as that wonderful father who beginning here and now protects us, provides for us, instructs us, and loves his children. Do we see this in families here and now today? 
Sometimes, though always imperfectly. The truth is we are all sinners and we all fall short. And part of that shortcoming is it enters into our relationships. When I was a child, we had a concept we talked about was like the nuclear family. I remember watching television shows, and some of you who are older remember this. Remember like Ozzie and Harriet? The father wore a jacket and tie to the dinner table. Did any of your fathers wear a jacket and tie? I never saw anything like that. And nobody ever yelled. My house wasn't like that. And when Ward and Cleve Beaver didn't get along, they discussed it. And they got help and they worked it out. Wasn't like that with my brothers. I have two brothers. Man, we fought. I mean, we, we had it out. We knocked over. We broke furniture and it would stop the fight. How do we fix this so mom doesn't know what we were doing? I mean, it was, you know, it was gritty. It was down to earth. So you start with those kinds of dysfunctions, but then we went through decades that really accelerated it because in addition to that, the idea came out that we have a right to be happy, that we have a right to be fulfilled. And relationships increasingly became disposable. When someone said, I just don't feel happy anymore, I don't feel fulfilled in this relationship, that became the right to leave. See, I think when Rick Warren um, wrote The Purpose Driven Church and it was such a great success, I remember my mother, who was not a believer, read it and she was so taken with the first sentence, she was amazed. The first sentence is, it's not about you. It's so different from the way that the world works that it struck her. Now, all these things are happening mixed with the realities of life, with divorce, death, illness, anger, depression, and all kinds of other problems. It would take a devastating toll on the family as God designed it. But again, we never wanna forget that wherever we find ourselves, we can take steps in the right direction because God promises he'll restore. He says, I'll restore what the locusts, can, the, the insects that would eat the crops that you didn't have a fruitful harvest. He said, never mind what they do. I can restore any of those things. And uh, <clears throat> God, God's word calls for us to be faithful and loving in our relationships, to sacrifice for those who are in our family, in our greater family, and to remember, it's not about us. See, building on God's the, the creational model in the Bible, we're instructed to love our spouses. Men are told to love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving his life for it. Um, more is going to be coming on that in the weeks to follow. We're told as well to love our children, to train them up, bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. There'll be more about that as well. But what does success in those relationships look like? It's not like the picture that the, the world's values relate to us. Success is not about what we acquire, how good a school our kids get into, the titles that we get or our ego fulfillment. It's about how we love others. It's lived out in a commitment of service and it desires the best for people. And it starts in the context of a family. It extends beyond to our community and then it goes out to the world. 
That's why Jesus would say, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, because it's not about ourselves. But the family remains the starting point. The roles and relationships even as, uh, show us truths about God, even as God himself is a complex unity of Father and Son and Holy Spirit, loving and esteeming that flow of love through all of eternity comes through in that picture. Second point is that God uses the family as his means of discipling or instructing the young. Now that's not the only way that discipleship happens. We'll disciple others in a larger context, but let's start with children. God's, in God's design, discipling your children is not the pastor's job. It's not the church's job. It's not the school's job. It's your job. The job is yours and you are vital and irreplaceable. Uh, the good news, even though we are vital and irreplaceable and we mess up, is that in a hopelessly broken world where every parent is imperfect, when our children call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. It's a promise of God. It's our job to witness to the truth, and here's the great part. God does all the work. But our ability to influence our children doesn't stop when they're little. It goes through different stages. Um, one writer put it this way, and I like this. When they're little, you're the commander. You tell them, sit here, go there, and for the most part, they do it. As they get older, our role morphs from a commander to something like a coach. We're helping them learn to play the game. And then when they get older yet and they have their own families, we go from commander to coach to something like consultant. I'm, I feel like I'm a consultant at time to my kids and I love that they'll call me and ask me questions about things. And my role has changed, but I can still speak into their lives. See, at every stage, we are critical and never, never believe the lie that fractured relationships cannot be healed. We're sitting here today, I guarantee if we went around the room, there are fractured relationships with parents, with children, with relatives, with brothers and sisters and other members of the family. Here's what God wants us to do. Obey him and try to start the process. We are commanded to forgive others. We are commanded to ask for their forgiveness where we have done wrong. And the Bible says, inasmuch as it depends on you, attempt to live at peace with all persons, with all of those family relationships. I think of my own failings as a parent. My wife and I think of things that we did when the kids were little. We may have been too legalistic. We lacked understanding. We didn't always appreciate the unique people that God had made our children to be. And through the process of seeing more of that, we were able to understand and do a better job. There's a backstory to the tragedy of the Titanic. The great liner went down and more than 1,500 people perished. David Blair was the second officer on the ship. At the last moment, the chief officer changed and, and, and that chief officer became the first, the first became the second. And David Blair at the last moment was booted off the ship. He wasn't happy about it. When he left though, he had a key in his pocket and he forgot to leave it on the ship. 
It was a key to a locker in the crow's nest. And inside the crow's nest, there was a pair of special high-powered night binoculars. They were to be used as they were going through the seas at night to look for hazards like icebergs. Well, it turned out because the key was not there, they didn't have access to that box. And so the lookouts in the crow's nest had to use the naked eye. But the speed of the ship and the visibility at night and how little of icebergs show and what's below the surface was such that the, the lookout could not see it in time to give warning to avert the disaster. There was a lookout named Fred Flea who testified before a Senate committee. And he was asked what difference those binoculars might have made. He said this, enough to get out of the way. It's an interesting question. There are keys that we leave to people coming after us. Those keys unlock certain things and give people coming after us access to things that will help them on the voyage of life. What's the key for us that we have to leave with, to our children? What's the key for us to helping them navigate when we're not going to be around or those whom we are discipling? See, um, we who are older and have served God we have found that in the difficulties, he's a present God. That in this world, we'll have tribulation, but Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We've found that the things that afflict us that we would say, gosh, I can't imagine going on after this. That the worst things that happen, the death and the illness, we've had a number of COVID deaths here in the church going back a number of months. That those things, because we're in a fallen world, can be managed with God. The iceberg of tribulation, uh, can, when we can see it at more of a distance and we can talk to those coming after us and say, no, you'll find that there is a good God. He's present, he loves us. And these are things we can still trust him. The, that iceberg of tragedy and disappointment does not have to cause the voyage to end in tragedy we can give our children and those coming after us a way to see further when they see it in our lives. We are instructed to train up the young and uh, to make things happen both intentionally and unintentionally. You look at Deuteronomy chapter six, you see this in verses one and two, you see it in verses six and seven, and I'll just read verses six and seven. Um, Moses says this, and these words I command you today that they shall be on your heart. What was he talking about? The words of the law, the instructions of who God was, how God wanted them to live. To live. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, you're going to do life together. There are going to be planned times, but there will also be the unplanned times when maybe a child or a friend or somebody with whom you're in relationship calls and says, I can't believe that this just happened. And all you can say is, I'm so sorry. What can I do for you? And you stop and you pray for them. 
But that's the time when we get to enter into their lives, the same as they can do for us, and bring the comfort of the word of the Lord and the perspective that God is a good, good God. And there are also things put on children. Ephesians chapter six, verses one and four says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. See, we have to honor our parents even maybe when they're doing something that irritates you. It doesn't mean you necessarily agree with everything, but whatever stage of life they're in. Maybe some of you have parents who might be in assisted living. They're not remembering things. There's things that bring them pleasure that you can still do. We still want to honor our parents because God instructs us to do it. Final point, God gives us the family for divine service or to care for his church. Things are going to go wrong in our families, but God gives us a family, a community, which is what you have around you right now. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50, we see that while Jesus was speaking, people came to him and they said, oh, your mother and your brothers are outside. And this is how Jesus answered. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching his hand towards the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and mother. You see where Jesus is going with this. That when we are in relationship with people who love God and we're intersecting with them, God in a divine way, even if we don't have our own family, and maybe you have a family that's going to come, maybe you're young, maybe you're not married yet, these principles still apply. But whatever happens in life, God gives us these relationships, these family type relationships, so the, the outcome of a fallen world doesn't call us to crash and burn because we're alone. Another occasion we see in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, Jesus was asked by his disciples, well, what about us? We left everything to follow you. And here's how Jesus responds to that. He says, I tell you, there's no one who has left a house. A house I would think of as a place where you're welcome. There's nobody who's left a house or brothers or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands for my sake in the gospel, who will not receive now a hundredfold in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children. He has with lands and persecution and in the age to come eternal life. See what he's saying? When we are following God, it may cause some separation in the earthly families that we have. But, but the promise of Jesus is, you're going to have that restored to you with hundreds of those relationships. You'll have more brothers and sisters and people than you know what to do with. And see, that's the reason that small groups are so important, because those are the people with whom we do life together. My small group was here Thursday night. We celebrated John Anderson becoming a, um, an elder. And then we went out and we had pie together. And these are people who I've come to love, 
There's a dearness, there's a trust. We're there for each other. It's just a provision of God in our lives. See, the book of Hebrews tells us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Why would God say that? Because in that community coming together, you have God's family provision for you. And these are going to be brothers and sisters in eternity. I'll ask the worship group to come back and we'll make just a few concluding comments. And then I'd like to close in prayer. I'd urge you maybe don't slip out early. Um, I think it's important when we start this series that we have a time of prayer. We kind of bring this all to the Lord. Now, none of us is said today to bring anyone guilt or condemnation. The natural human response is to hear things like this and say, oh, I messed up. If this didn't turn out right, it was my fault. That's just a natural human reaction. But we're encouraged, Paul tells us, forgetting those things which are behind. You can't undo those, but you can try to make them better. Paul says, instead of looking in the rearview mirror all the time, he says, let's press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, we have to be honest. God says those who worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. We have to do an honest evaluation of what we've done and where we're at. And it may require, like the sixth hour of my putting together that kitchen, it may require some disassembly in order to put things back together the right way. See, life may be messy, but God in his great love encourages us to bring those messes to him. I had a very good earthly father. He was a product of, he fought in World War II. He was a product of the depression. He loved his family fiercely. He provided for us. He was very good in all those things, but he was not a believer. He didn't come to faith in Christ until weeks before he died. I had the great joy of leading him to faith in Christ on his deathbed. But I had become a Christian in my 20s. And when that happened, uh, shortly after that, I got a diagnosis that looked like a terminal cancer diagnosis. My father aged 10 years before me in a few days while I went in for the testing and all that. Well, the testing showed that it was not this terminal cancer. Uh, But while that was happening, I can't tell you why this was, I just had a full peace. The word of God promises, you know, he will keep the imperfect peace whose mind has stayed on him. I just had that. I didn't know if I was going to live. I didn't know if I was going to die. It just occurred to me, my life is in God's hands. Now, it might've been different if I had small children or something like that. But in that situation, I had perfect peace. And when my father was dying many years later, he remembered that I had forgotten. And he talked about that with me. And he said, Back when you had that diagnosis, I thought to myself, he's either too stupid to understand what the doctor is saying, or he really found something. And he never stopped thinking that. He watched a little bit at a distance, but he always wanted to know, is there something that he found that I need to know about? And it wasn't until his body was breaking down, ravaged with disease, that he finally 
surrendered to God. Now, I had an earthly father, but I also had a spiritual father. He's in his 90s today, and he's a man I deeply love. I still try to visit him. He took me under his wing as a young man. He showed me how to live the faith. He showed me the disciplines of prayer and reading my Bible and the commitments that were going to carry me through a lifetime. And you see, because I had a spiritual father, I was able to minister to an earthly father. Does God provide those relationships? Yeah. The uh, Timothy we, in the New Testament, we don't read that Timothy had an earthly father, but Paul was his spiritual father. The Apostle Paul called Timothy his spiritual son. God is going to give us those relationships. Spiritual brothers, sisters, parents, children, all these relationships so that we can strengthen one another, that we can encourage one another, and in tough times, we're there for each other. You know, when we hear something like this, we want to come before God in a kind of surrender and pray and offer him our lives and our families. We've messed up, but he's a good, good father. And he loves us through it and he works through it. If you're here today with your family, maybe your earthly family, if you're comfortable with this, perhaps hold hands or maybe put an arm on each other. Or if you're here with somebody who's maybe a friend, who's a brother or sister in the Lord, and you're grateful for that person, that God's provided them in your life, maybe do the same. And as we pray, we want to think about the many difficult relationships Lift them up before God. Lift up those strained relationships, wherever they are, with kids, parents, brothers, sisters. Let's ask God to help us to do our part so that God will work in us, not only in the earthly families he's given us, but in the community, the family of God. And if you're here and you maybe like to be discipled, you've heard this, it's doing life with somebody. Take one of the connect cards out of the seat in front of you and just write that down. Let us know, leave it at Info Central. Or maybe you're a Christian who's got some years, you're mature in the faith, you'd like to be a discipler. You wanna reach somebody here on the church. Fill that out too and we'll see if we can't hook you up with somebody because it's the church being the church. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and for your love for us. And thank you that you've given us the family and you intended it to be a blessing. We also give thanks that when things don't go as we planned or hoped in our families, that you are able to work for healing and restoration. And you also provide us with a greater family, that those who love you become our parents, our children, our brothers, our sisters, Help us to live worthy of that gift with each other and to live worthy of the gift that you've given us, that we've become your children through faith in Christ. Help us to honor you in that and in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Highlands, blessings to you. Go out, take the word of God to heart. If some of you have situations, maybe you'd like special prayer or family matter, we have a prayer team. I'll be down in the front as well. Feel free to come up and somebody will be here 
to pray with you. And otherwise, blessings to you all. Go with God.